Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and uh, we just, again, say this church is yours. Uh, it doesn't belong to me or any pastor or the board, and I thank you that they all feel the same way, that it's yours. And we just pray, God, that you would lead us by your Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us this morning, open up our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Our vision for the church comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and it says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In that scripture, there's a whole lot of all of yours, all of yours, not love the Lord your God with part of, or some of, or what's left over of, but all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And our goal in this church is loving people to life. And our process is loving God leads to loving people. And the reason why we say that is, man, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. What we did this morning communion is just honestly, it's a picture of what we're saying. God loved and out of God's love he gave. And what did he give? He gave his only son. And so this is a picture of his love. It's a picture of his giving, of his son, of his sacrifice. And and so loving God leads to loving people, and loving people leads to serving people. Again, serving people through death on the cross is exactly what Jesus did. And that leads people back to loving God. And so our vision is simple when broken down. It's about loving, it's about serving, and it's about leading. And so we've been doing a series on our vision, which we launched about six, seven years ago. And we've done four weeks on loving, and uh, this morning we start the first uh, part of four weeks on serving, and then we'll get into four weeks on leading. Um, But today's message is the servant heart. Before you start working on anything, you need to determine what it is that you want to accomplish, right? Right? So I'm a, I'm a hunter and, 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 and I, a shooter, and so I understand that before I even shoot, I need to determine a target, right? And, and so most of you may not relate to that, but just for the sake of relating, uh, if we talk about a house, all right, before you start something, start work on a house. Let's say that you've got a, a, an old house, maybe you've purchased it and it's, it's been around for a while, it's broken down, um, but before you start working on that house, you have to determine what the need is, don't you? Right? And so you may walk around a house and you may say, hey, listen, you know, man, this floor needs to be torn up and, and maybe this wall can be saved, but maybe we need to strip some things and replast or resheet rock or whatever it may be. And you, you walk around the house determining what can be saved, what's good, what's not, not good. And, and then from there, you, make, you take this inventory of everything that needs to be done and then you look at what you hope it will be. Right? Before you start work, you actually envision what it is going to be. And so you go, okay, here's what's right in front of me, and I see all this and all the work that has to be done, but what leads you to do that work is the vision of what it can be, right? So once you have this vision of what it can be and how you imagine it, then from there, you begin gathering and equipping yourself for the work, right? So if you do it yourself, you get the tools that you need. You get the sheetrock, you get the paint, you get everything you need. Maybe some of you aren't quite as skilled as others, and and you say, you know what? I don't have the skill set myself, so I'm going to make sure that I get the people in here that can do the work. I need a plumber, I need an electrician, I need a sheetrocker, I need, you know, a taper, I need all of these people. So you 
you begin to gather around you the people and the equipment you need to get this house from where it currently stands into the fulfillment of the vision that you see. You follow? All right. And so I want to ask you, when you think about a house, what would be the reason you would restore a house? Value? Value, okay, someone said that first service too. Yeah, you, go, you buy a house and you buy it low and you go, you know what, man, if I can flip this house, I can, I can restore it, get some things in here, build it up. And you guys have seen houses like this all over the place, right? You see old houses have been stripped down and then like a month they've been refinished and fixed up and, and they're ready to go and, and now they sell them. So you could do it because you want to make a dime, right? You want to make some money, that's a reason. What else would be a reason you would restore a house? Safety, all right? So if you're thinking safety, it's probably for yourself, right? Your family. So I break it down into two areas, right? Normally, it's either for money or it's for yourself, all right? It's for yourself. Have you ever had someone come to your house and do shoddy work? Yeah? And you walk in and you're like, yeah, just, ah, I'm not feeling that or whatever. And they cut corners or whatever. And then if you go to their house, you see like it's, like a, it's perfect, right? Like, you know, every detail is made. Do you think there's a difference between work done to restore a house to sell and work done for your own family? Do you think there's a difference? Absolutely, right? All right. How many of you want to live in a house that you restored to sell to somebody else? Probably not. Right? Some of you are looking at me, you're like, because you know what happens. If you're restoring a house to someone else, your focus is yourself and what you can make out of it, right? If you're doing it to make money, you're going to find the cheapest way to get the job done so it's efficient, so you get the most bang for your buck coming back at you, right? And that will lead you to go, you know what? It's kind of under the counter. You can't see it. I bet they'll never even notice. Once we throw tile on this rotten floor, they won't have a clue, Nobody knows. It's all good. And so the cheapest way I can get in and out, and this is not everybody, but some people, hey, you know, you might take some shortcuts to make some money. But when you're restoring for your own family, things kind of change, right? Maybe when you're restoring for your family, you're like, you know what? Yeah, I might just cover up this rotten piece of wood, but when my daughter walks into a room and falls through the floor, that might not be a good thing. And so it might be more of a pain for me to take the extra work to get this done. But what drives you to do that? Maybe the thought of your daughter in that room, right? You don't take the shortcuts. You might do more things with a house that you're going to live in. It might cost you more, right? It might cost you more finances, more work, more time, more frustration. But you're going to do it right. You know what the difference is? Love. Love. Love is the difference. Love is the difference in this, right? One that you're turning around to sell, that your love isn't connected. But when you do it for your family, love is connected. Love makes a big difference in how we do things. When things are done in love, they look different. They feel different. They are different. And as we look at serving this morning, you know, we go from four weeks of loving into serving, and we said love leads to serving. That's part of our vision. Love leads to serving. Love of Christ led him to serve us on a cross. And so love is a huge foundation 
of serving. So before you serve, just like before you do anything, you must first identify the need. There's no point in serving if you don't know why you're serving. So if before you serve, you must first realize, wait a second, there's something here that needs to be done. And by me stepping into this position, I'm going to help get that done. And again, the foundation of that, we've just talked about for four weeks. And I just want to briefly cover it. It's love. It's agape love. It's not this emotional kind of love, but rather it's a love that's defined as desiring the greatest good for someone. It's the kind of love that you can even give to your enemies. You can still desire the greatest good for them, and as Christians, we should. You can have something that you may not get along with someone, or someone may hate you, or whatever the case may be, but as a Christian, we desire the greatest good, that these people can find Christ and find life. And so, the foundation foundation of serving and all that we do is based on desiring the greatest good for someone. Love for the servant is the heart of the servant. Love for the servant is the reason for serving. Love for the servant is the passion for serving. It's what keeps you on the path. It's what keeps you focused. It's what causes you to endure. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, you know, Jesus, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But if there's not, not my will, but your will, what kept them on that path? What held them to that cross? It wasn't nails. He could have come off. It was love that made him endure Because love led him to meet this need that he knew people so desperately needed. And love held him there. Love helps us endure. And so I want to look at this from God's point of view. And I just want you to just, again, picture the image. A few weeks ago, we, uh, we did uh, this illustration on relationship. You guys, some of you guys remember that. But, but I just want to kind of briefly go over it. You've got God, right? And you've got God. And, and the way it was created was that he was holding hands with man when he created man. And there was supposed to be this beautiful relationship with him, kind of hand in hand with one another. And that was the relationship. And that was life. And then sin came into man's life and severed it. And so when they severed it, sin came when, when, when man decided they wanted more than God. God wasn't enough. And so, so what happened was sin, Satan came up to the man and said, listen, you can have more. You can know more. You can, you can have all these things, and God's holding you back. And man believed that. So man basically made himself his own God, started chasing his own fulfillment, and severed relationship between God and man. And the result of that was man spent himself spiraling out of control as they do today, looking for fulfillment, looking for joy, looking for things to satisfy the emptiness and the hurt and the pain that they have inside without understanding that the only one who can satisfy that is God himself. It's only that relationship with God that fills that emptiness. And so God is watching man spiraling out of control as Satan speaks to him and says, yes, happiness is found over here in, 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 in finances, and happiness is found over here in relationship, and happiness is found over here in sex, and happiness is found over here in all these things. And man keeps running to these things, taking all that he can of them, and never being fulfilled. And so God's watching this, right? And God, at that point, identifies need. He says, man, here I am, and there's supposed to be this relationship, and I want this person to, to have real life. And so right now, they, they've sinned against me, and that sin is real. 
And the punishment of that sin is death. And that sin causes division. And so as I'm seeing these people, just visualize as God's here and man's down there, and there's this big disconnect and they're spiraling out of control. And, and, and honestly, they're on their way to hell and they're hurting and they're broken and they're in pain. And God says, man, here's the need. I've got to do something. I'm not okay with this. I don't want them to die. I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to believe the lies of the enemy. I've got to do something here. And so God identifies the need and says, man, this is the need. They're broken, no different than a house. They're broken, they're hurting, they're, they're unfulfilled, they're unsatisfied, they're hungry, and they, there's no way for them to come back to me because of the, 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 the big, huge chasm that was created when they sinned against me. He identifies need. And then he looks at his own resources and goes, okay, what do I need to do to fix this? And I I thank God that he doesn't do things halfway. I thank God that he doesn't put tile over rotten floorboards, even when it costs him so much. And so God says, man, there's only one person that can fulfill this. There's only one person who has the skill set. There's only one person who has the ability to actually get this job done, and that is my son, Jesus Christ. Only my son has the skill set to fill this. And as he's looking at this, God has to be saying, but man... This is going to hurt. Man, if I do this, if I see this need and I actually meet this need, this is going to be costly. This is going to be painful. This is going to be expensive. Man, this is really painful. I've got to send my own son and watch him die on a cross to meet this need, to bridge the gap, to build this house, to get this relationship where it needs to go. Sometimes in our own rebuilding projects or restoring projects, we get to a point where it's like Pandora's box and you open something up and you go, oh, wow, this is going to be a whole lot more than I thought, right? And at that point you go, is it worth it to even continue this? Is it worth it to even pay the price? You know, sometimes I think, man, you know, when God was like, man, this is huge. This is hard. Even for Jesus, Jesus is at this point in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, if there's any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, this is so heavy, this is so costly, this is so tough, if there's any other way besides me dying on a cross, then please take this from me. And he says, but not my will be done, but yours. And so here's this, this, this visual as God identifies the need and says, the only solution is my son. But I love so much. And love leads to serving, right? If, you love, if God loves us, and so his love for us led to serving. And that's exactly what he did. He sends his son. I want to read you from Isaiah 42, because in Isaiah 42, the prophet Isaiah, this is before Jesus even shows up, we see this picture that God gives of the ultimate servant, all right? And this is prophesying um, the Messiah before he even comes. And as I read this to you, I want you to understand that this is how God says, this is what a servant looks like. And he says this, uh, and again, the passage is even titled, The Servant of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged to establish his justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. I love this because he says, man, I'm going, to send, I'm going to send the Messiah and he's coming. And he's not going to break the broken people. He's not going to break the ones who are barely hanging on. He's not going to snuff out that wick that's barely on fire. He's here to help the broken. He's coming to set the oppressed free, all those who are hurting. Then Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 7, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And we get this glimpse as we read this. Jesus, well, God has identified the need because he's already naming it. And he says, so here's the need, and here's my servant, and this is what my servant's going to accomplish. This is no different than saying, hey, here's the need of the house. It needs electricity, and the electricity's going to come in, and he's going to run wire and connect all of these things. God is saying this right now. He's saying, here's the need. These people are broken. They are hurting. They are in captive. They are, they are in bondage. And I'm, serving my, I'm sending my servant, and I'm going to empower him with my spirit. And what he's going to do, he's not going to break people. He's going to restore people. And then as I send him, he's going to set the captives free. He's going to bring life to people. And this is prophesied from Isaiah before Jesus even shows up. And so we get this picture of God saying, man, this is the path. This is how I'm going to do it. And the end vision is going to be fulfilled. What I love about this is, is if you go to Isaiah 53, well, let me just back up. Jesus comes as the servant of God. He comes. He's born. You know the story. He lives on this earth. He came in his own words, not to be served, but to serve. He didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. He came because he knew, I'm here on a mission, on a purpose, and it's to bring life. He came not for himself, but for us. And as he comes, what does he do? The life of Jesus, we see that he, he heals the rejected lepers, and he eats with sinners, and he washes feet, and he makes the blind see, and the crippled walk, and he raises the dead, and he casts demons out. And all of these things, right? is what he's doing in person. And it's this outward life that he's living and he's touching people and everyone that comes in contact, he's healing and he's touching. But you know what I love about this is this is not just an outward healing. You know what takes place in this as well? For every outward healing, there's an internal healing as well. Do you follow that? For instance, I want you to think about the rejected lepers, right? Their disease actually moved them outside the community that they were allowed to live in. They lost their families. They lost everything. For a leper to be healed, they were restored. There's an emotional healing. And so for every healing that God did externally, there was one emotionally and internally. God doesn't do things halfway. And so this is what he does, right? And then Jesus lives this life, and he's setting people free, and it's, seeing, it's being done visibly in front of people. He's restoring lives. He's healing people. He's raising the dead, but he's doing it with the people that he comes in contact with. And then he goes to the cross, and one final act of service, not just limited to the people that he's coming into contact with, but for the entire world, for that generation and generation and generation and generation. This act of service would go beyond just what he could physically reach as a human could with his own hands, it would go forever. And he goes to a cross and he dies for the entire world that whoever believes in him will be set free, right? Now we know this, but then in Isaiah 53, it says this, 
Again, the prophet Isaiah, before Jesus even is, does any of this, says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so Jesus, that was his final act of salvation, that final act of servanthood that, that was for everyone. And so he dies, and he's resurrected. And at that point, it's like he, at that point, it's like he links hands with God, who's watching this, this people spiral out of control. He links hands with God, and that big, massive gap that was created by man's sin is fulfilled through Jesus Christ and his act of serving. Because God identified a need, and then he filled and he reached out his hand to those who were struggling and hurting and saying, grab hold of my hand. The price has been paid. Jesus said, hey, it is finished. It is done. It is complete. It is restored. The chains are gone. Sin is forgiven. The only thing left to do is those people who are struggling, just all they have to do is grab hold of my hand. I've built the house, and it's restored, and it's solid. And so here you've got this beautiful picture. And if you look really again, right after Isaiah 53, I'll just read from Isaiah 55. And I love this because, again, this is all being said before Jesus was even did any of this stuff. And so this you can actually see how almost excited you know, God is about what he's about to do. Isaiah 55 says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, I want you to get this visual. It's like God is here, Jesus is here, and and once Jesus has been sent, the price has been paid, now God is beckoning to everyone who's struggling and everyone who's spiraling out of control, trying to find peace and happiness and joy. And he says, all of you, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast love for David. And so I almost kind of feel like this excitement, like God says, man, I've done it. Here's what's going to happen. I've identified the need. I've already got the servant in place. He is coming. He's going to restore. And once he's restored, the doors are wide open. All you have to do is come. Come and take, come and take, come and take. And it's this beautiful picture of God seeing a need, not just leaving it alone, identifying the need, and then doing something about it, even when it was so costly. One of the cool things, there's so many cool things about this, but one of the cool things about Jesus' life is this, is that when Jesus lived, he didn't live by himself. He took 12 with him, didn't he? He took his disciples with him. And, and so many times when he, when he was walking with his disciples, he would say to them, Don't you, you've seen me do this, now do likewise, right? He always said, now do likewise. And he was training and equipping imperfect men to carry on his mission. Not perfect men, imperfect men. He was perfect, but he left it in the, in the hands of imperfect. And he said basically to them is, watch what I do, now do what I do. Watch what I do, now do what I do. Like I said this morning with communion, he says, look, this is not just a picture of my body. This needs to be a picture of your body. Watch what I do, do what I do. And so then what happens is he goes to the cross, and then he empowers the 12. Jesus could have done it all himself. But he chose to give us part of this great mission. And he empowers the 12 and says, now listen, you're imperfect. And and Peter was denying him right before he died. And these are all imperfect people. But then God uses them. And he says this. 
Well, let me go back to this. Maybe you go back to Isaiah 42. And as God defined his perfect servant, the first thing he said is this. He will be someone that I place my spirit on. Remember that? I have placed my spirit on him. Isn't it interesting that before the 12 go out, before the disciples go out, after the Great Commission, Jesus says this. Here's the Great Commission. Go and evangelize the world, but don't go anywhere until you receive the promise from the Father. Again, there's the picture of the servant that is baptized in the Spirit, filled with God's Spirit, and says, okay, and again, this is a picture that God painted in Isaiah 42. Hey, my servant will be filled with my Spirit. And so Jesus says, hey, go out into the world, but do not go until you are filled with my Spirit. And once you are filled with my Spirit, then you will go. You know what the difference is? The difference with being filled with with God's Spirit is this. Peter was denying Jesus before he died. After he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he preached the most powerful message ever preached. Right? And thousands came to know the Lord. That's the difference the power of the Holy Spirit makes. And so God says, as my servant, here's what you need to understand. All right? First and foremost, you must now go and do what I do. But you cannot do it on your own power because you are not skilled, you are not perfect, and you don't have all the qualities or characteristics. You need to do it on your own. But you don't have to because I'm going to empower you. So here's what he says. He says, all right, Jesus has came and he's fulfilled this thing and he's connected God back out to man. And he says, now you guys go. And once, you, once you're in relationship with Christ, he says, your life changes. Everything changes for you. It's no longer about yourself. It's now you become a servant. You now mirror Jesus Christ. And so once you get saved, it's like, man, I found Christ. All of a sudden, what should be happening in our lives? What should be happening in our lives is this. Our eyes are opened, and we start surveying around us. And as we look around us, we're going to see need. If you can look around you and not see need, then don't do anything. Why would you? If there's no need, there's no reason for you to serve. Only serve if you see need. But I want to challenge you that as you open your eyes and you look around you in this broken world, you're going to see areas of need all over the place. You're going to see broken people. You're going to see challenges. And guess what? As you see them, you're going to go, wow, that's so bad. I can't do that. That's so bad. I don't have the power to fix this. It's what I did. See, what I did was, before I even got in the ministry, I said, God, I'm done with the church. I'm tired of the politics. I'm tired of the junk. I love you, but I'm tired of church. That was easy for me. And God said, well, you're just part of the problem then. You've identified the need, and you've removed yourself from it. What I want you to do is I want you to identify the need, come to me, I'll empower you, and then you go into it. That's what he said to me. What he didn't say was, you know what, Selwyn, you've got all the answers. You don't even need me. Go do it by yourself. God help you if I do this by myself. If I'm not doing this empowered by the Holy Spirit, you might as well go home. All right? And you don't need to do it without the Holy Spirit. All right? Don't do it without the Holy Spirit. And so God says, so, yes, you've identified the problem. He says, now I'm going to send you. And my response is, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I can't do this. And he goes, yeah, you can't. You can't. How dare you think you could? You can. So the same thing is going to be true in your life. As you begin looking for need around you, you're going to see need, and your first response is, this is too big for me. And you'd be right. And I'm glad you said that. This is too big for me. I can't do this. This is overwhelming. And God said, I never called you to do it by yourself. 
And you might have that Garden of Gethsemane experience that Jesus didn't. You say, you know what, Lord? This is too much. If it be your will, please take this from me. I don't want this. This is too much. This is too much. But hopefully you will say, but not my will be done, but yours will be done. And as we begin to live out this life as Jesus did, our life takes the form of this. And this doesn't become something that we actually do once a month. It becomes something we live in our lives. And so as you see the need and you go, man, this is too big. God says, yes, and I'm calling you because you need me. Grab hold of me and I will empower you and I will help you. But don't let people who are broken go on their way to hell. And for all of this, this looks different. I don't know what the need God is identifying in your life. Maybe it's for a people group, or, or maybe it's for a country, or maybe it's for an age group, or maybe it's for whatever it may be. I don't know. But God will begin to identify a need in, in, in his kingdom or in this world that he wants you to go after. And I can promise you this. You're not the only Christian. All right? Let me rephrase that. There will never be a Christian who God says, no, you're exempt from meeting a need. They just won't be. And you're not that one. If you are a Christian, God says, I'm putting something before you, whether you recognize it or not. And here's the thing. You know where that need comes from? It doesn't come from the, I look, you know what? I need to go do a job. All right? This is not about doing a job. Can I tell you something else too? This is not about someone trying to get Sunday school teachers. This is, this is nothing about that. This is about saying, if we truly love God, and, and his love lives inside of us, and we see broken people, what does that love do? See, that love of Christ made him lay down his life and go after people. And that's what Christ has called you to do. And that is what Christ has called me to do. And you know what? It's scary. But God says, you know what? Go get him. Go get him. And you say, I can't. It's too much for me. He said, yes, you can. It's not too much for me. I've got you. Go. The question is, will you trust me? And we start looking at everything. And Jesus, we are told in Ephesians 5, chapter 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are told, man, listen, don't just take this, be this. Imitate him as he gave his life, give your life. And then he says this, and seek my kingdom first. That means this is like above your own kingdom. This is above your careers, above your desired paychecks, above the titles that you want, above your bank accounts, above all of this. He says, no, put that to a side. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom. My kingdom is reaching broken, hurting people and bringing them to life. Seek my kingdom first. I know what you need. And what you need may not look like what you want, but I will meet your needs according to my will. You seek my face and you build my kingdom. And so the great commission is passed to you and me. I love what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45. He says this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You must recognize the need. You must recognize the current condition of that need. And you must have a vision beyond what it currently is to what it could be. Do you understand that 
that is a picture of you. When God came into your life, he didn't see you for who you were. He saw you for what you could be. And he set you free. And he took you there. He took you there. That old picture of who you are is gone. And God, because he doesn't do things halfway, has taken that long process, as broken as you and I may have been, to restore us and build us. I want to ask you this morning, what kind of servant are you? We don't need people here to come and do a job. We don't. I don't want you to come do a job. I want you to come and fulfill a mission. I want that, 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 that fire to engulf your heart, that it be such an overwhelming desire in your life to say, you know what, man, there are so many broken teenagers or so many broken children or so many broken adults, and you know what, I'm going to do everything I can. God, I don't know how you can use me, but here I am. Holy Spirit, would you empower me? Will you use me? And I will make a difference for you how you empower me and how you use me. But I want to tell you, this is what's going to happen as you survey that need. God's going to bring a need up before you. And you're going to look at that need. And the need's going to be overwhelming. And then as you begin to look at that need and you begin to feel this tug on your heart, you're going to start saying, well, what do I need to get this need met? How do I equip? And as you start looking at that and digging further, you're going to be overwhelmed by how big the need is because it's going to be bigger than you realized. And as it's bigger than you realized, you're going to start going, wow, wait a second. It's like Pandora's box. This could be costly in my life. This could be expensive. This could actually hurt. And I feel like it's the same words that God had to answer with his own son. That Jesus had to answer for himself. And it's at that point where you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Do you know what gets you past that point? Not a job and not a need, but love. That's what gets you past that point. And only the love of God living inside of you will say, you know what? I will pay the price and I will go because there's a life at stake and God's called me to this. And I don't know how it's going to look, but God, I am yours. Take me, use me, and glorify your name through me and build your kingdom. That's the heart of a servant. And that's the heart that God's called us to. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to ask our prayer team to come forward and make themselves available for prayer. I believe more than anything, here's what I love about this, as God empowered 12, he changed the world with 12. What can we do with 300? What can we do with 300 people? If God changed the world with 12, what can we do with 300? Because guess what? God is saying this is for you. And I believe God has placed us in New England for such a time as this. Yes, we are outnumbered. Yes, it's overwhelming. Yes, all of these things. But my God is bigger. And yes, you're not equipped. And yes, you don't have the skill set. And yes, you're not qualified. But my God is bigger and he is qualified. And if you will ask him to, he will equip you. He will empower you with his spirit and he will send you out. And Satan wants to fight it with everything in him. Who will you listen to? 
Will you be a servant of God or will you be a servant of yourself? We can change the world. We can, one person at a time, moving in obedience to him. Man, my prayer for you is that God will ignite your hearts again. My prayer for some of you is some of you get tired because you've been serving for so long, and we have so many people that serve and serve and serve. My prayer is that God will refresh you, that God will strengthen you, that God will give you endurance, that God will lead you. But if we live surrender lives to him, man, who knows what God will do? God is calling us to larger facilities because, honestly, he believes in you. He believes in you. He believes that you're going to embrace what he's called you to. I want to pray, and then I'm going to open up these altars to you, and I just pray that you would just respond to him. Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you, come up here and be prayed for. If you will recognize the purpose of that, God didn't give that for you to hang on your wall or for you to speak out in service only. He did it because he wanted to empower you to be a servant. If you need that, come and I'll ask to pray for you. If, you. if your fire is drawn cold or, your, or it seems to have gone out, pray that God will ignite it. If you've never had fire, pray that God will give you a passion. Pray that God will give you a vision. Don't pray for a job, pray for a mission. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. God, I thank you that although each one of us was so broken, You could have easily said, no, I'm not even going to bother. This costs too much. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't do that. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said I was worth it, even though you knew at the end I still wouldn't be perfect. And you gave your perfect life to save my imperfect life and to set me free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. I pray, oh God, that you would open up my heart and my eyes my heart to hear from you. God, give me a soft heart for you, God. God, restore love into my heart. God, help me to see people and situations through your eyes, Lord God. Help me to see them, Lord God. Help me be moved by them. And then, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to trust you and to go after you and go after this need. I don't know how I'm going to get it done. But God, I know you can. Would you just use me Would you glorify your name in my life? God, would you calm every fear, every anxiety, every question that wonders how on earth am I going to do this? Would you make a way, Father? Would you lead me and give me peace, Lord God? But most importantly, would you build your kingdom through my life? In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open.